Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. In today's episode, you will hear from Jessen Bradshaw, co-founder and chief executive officer of Energy Ogre, and learn why he believes that our economy benefits from the innovation derived from entrepreneurs as well as our discussion about the importance for business leaders to find the right balance between charging forward with strategic initiatives and practicing patience to allow things to happen on their own timing. So Jess, uh, tell me a little bit about what your business is known for. Well, I think we were the first people to really focus on signing, siding with the end user here in the competitive electricity markets of Texas to help them make decisions around what's the most cost-effective electricity plan. So it's kind of a mouthful. But, you know, I think the the business, at least Energy Ogre, is known for being a subject matter expert on how to how to select residential electricity plans. Okay, so what inspired you to start Energy Ogre? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I'm, I sort of joke with folks that sometimes I feel like a dinosaur in the electricity space. I started in this space in 1995 when it just opened in the, at the federal level from the market-based rate authority for federal power marketing licenses. And I've spent time, you know, trading wholesale power, gas, coal, resid, you name it, building power plants, you know, running utility stuff. And, and I found myself in a previous company that I owned by weird set of circumstances, ended up actually building a retail electricity provider. So we had two brands ultimately here in Texas. One was Amigo Energy and the other one was Tara Energy. And we sold those to another company in 2012. And a lot of what we were doing at Energy Ogre is trying to solve for some of the problems that I saw that were really some of the, the road bumps and some of the, the impediments that were really preventing consumers in Texas from taking full advantage of, of the real amazing value that came out of the consumer choice legislation. So it, it is a huge potential windfall to, to consumers. It's a lot of folks just are not able to navigate through it. There's, a, there's so much advertising and kind of confusion. Very little what you see is what you get in some of the advertisements. And so there's just people are bombarded with information. There's a lot of bad information that persists year over year over year. And you know, it all kind of culminates with you know, residential customers that have better things to do with their life, getting themselves stuck in these suboptimal you know, energy plans and, and paying an, an incremental expense for something that there's absolutely no reason to. I mean, electricity is the ultimate fungible commodity. There's literally zero difference from one provider to the other. It's just, there's no difference. So, right. so that, that's kind of where Energy Ogre came from. It was, a, it was a happy circumstance that by the time we started Energy Ogre, I started thinking about doing this in 2013. We had a lot of emergent technologies 
that were coming to the forefront that really allowed us to do a lot of the more complicated work that would have made it not cost effective for us to provide the service prior to that. So, so yeah, it was this, it's this confluence of emergent technologies, pulling these emergent technologies into a specific focus. And that's, that's kind of how we got started. That's great. Yeah. Okay. I would say, I think if you watch the advertising in this space, then everyone has the best deal out there. Right? Everyone. Yeah. The yeah. best, the mostest. Yeah. You yeah. name it. Yeah. And so kind of, I guess it came from your experience in a prior company, seeing a gap or a, a need that a cons- the consumer base really could benefit from and, and then addressing and, and delivering a product or a company that could solve that. Right. There's just simple things that are out there, but it's, it's interesting in you know, the market opened January 1st of 2002 for broad-based competition. And, you know, we still have a lot of people that there's confusion about what the rules are, what they can and can't do. Like a lot of folks, even simple things don't realize that, if I move addresses, I don't have to take my electricity contract with me. You know, it's it's a contract between me and the provider at that specific location. And so in the statute, it's written that you don't have a termination charge. You just have to prove that you moved. And so people, you know, will, will talk to their provider about switching service and they'll get locked, locked into some other rate plan that's worse than what they were in before or you know, some folks like to stay with a with a provider because they think that they're quote unquote the utility, <laughs> and everyone else is a middleman without realizing they're all you know functionally very 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 similar. So, right. so you know what what we saw was when when I had our retail businesses, you know there there are a few things that are written in the statute. It is extremely pro consumer. So many of the rules are set up really favoring the end user. But it's written in such a way and the expectation was such that there's kind of a, a level of active engagement that a consumer is going to, they're going to be present in this process. And I think that that's not really realistic for a lot of people. Sure. So a good example of that is that, you know, evergreen contracts for fixed price residential service, those are not able to be done. And so we would see this frequently at the retailer that we had is, hey, you're coming out of contract. Let me send you this renewal notice. Hey, let me send you, and actually there's a requirement to send these notifications that you're coming out of contract. And, you know, you have folks that they just have better things to do with their lives. You know, they're busy, kids, work, whatever the case may be. And so they don't, they don't really kind of pay attention to it. And, and as a result, as a retailer, you know, what you're trying to do is you're trying to sell to your customer for a length of time and then hedge your exposure in the wholesale markets. Right. Well, if I've got a customer that, now I don't really have a long-term relationship with, now it changes my hedging strategy. So it makes me much more, I have a much larger risk that if I bought that wholesale power and my customer goes away, then I might have a mark-to-market loss on, on my hedges. So it, it creates a lot of risk and that gets that translates into pricing, right? Sure. And so... That's one thing that we saw a lot is, you know, people would be upset that they fell out a contract and like you just, and then you jacked my rates to whatever. And like, mm, it's because we can't hedge it, right? right. It's because you, the, the lack of us being in, in a, in a longer term relationship forces me to change my strategy that increases my cost to serve you. So some of those things were the kinds of problems that, you know, we wanted to solve for. It's not really a retailer's fault and it's not really an end user's fault. It's just a lack of understanding of the way this whole thing works. There's definitely room for intermediation. 
And, you know, the other thing that we saw that was, you know, in the end, Energy Yoga really is a technology company. It's wrapped in this customer service candy coating. Yeah. But what we built was an engine that can digest any of these rate programs and compare them to one another on an apples to apples basis. And so that was the big first, that was where we started. Gotcha. And, and we've just continued to build on the technology since then. But that, in order to work right, it needs to look like it's magic or in a black box someplace and no one needs to see how the sausage is made. Exactly. <laughs> I hear you. Okay. So let's step in back a little bit. Uh, you know, you had a company before Energy Ogre, Fulcrum Energy, mm-hmm. and now you have Energy Ogre. So just from an entrepreneurial standpoint and mindset, what are some of the, the key elements to building a successful business that you experienced and kind of building you know, one or both of those companies, whether they were the similar type foundational principles or, or they differed? And if so, why? Yeah, well, you know, I think first of all is when we got started, it was hubris and arrogance. You know, prior to that, I, I was at a company a long, long time ago when I first started out of school called NGC Corporation, and that eventually turned into Dynegy years and years later. And I was involved with the power stuff at the very, very beginning, so it was neat to kind of watch a company that had far more resources than sort of starting from scratch. But it was an interesting evolution to see how that whole business, you know, Dynegy became at its zenith in the late 2000s was, or sorry, the early 2000s was, you know, one one of the larger energy merchants in the space probably right behind Enron. Sure. You know, but it was uh, quite a bit of transactional activity. So a bunch of really interesting lessons learned and watching things that we did well, watching the leadership styles and the decision-making process and, and trying to internalize some of those, those lessons. Fulcrum was an interesting one. And and what we did there was uh, we had been managing power generation assets for the company. And we also were managing third party assets and in the wake of the demise of the energy merchant community, a lot of these projects, they had been outsourcing 100% of their logistics to companies like Dynagy. And so a number of these companies that were doing that before, they were out of business or they had some kind of a, you know, in their restructured debt, they might have some negative covenant in there around putting their balance sheet at risk for third parties. Right. <laughs> so, so we saw this huge opportunity to do the exact same thing that we were doing for our own stuff for third parties, massively overestimated our capabilities and the ease of um, acquiring customers <laughs> without, you know, a, a billion dollar balance sheet behind you. But, but we persevered and, and we figured some of those things out. You know, the biggest thing that, that, that I learned in starting uh, Fulcrum and, and sort of all the, the, the twists and turns of that business as the years went by, two two real big lessons learned for me. One one was it didn't matter how smart you are, and it honestly doesn't matter how technically capable you are. In order, there's always going to be some form of an externality. You know, maybe on a colloquial basis, you might say a good bounce or good bounces, a series of them. Yeah. Oftentimes, you know, you'll see people. Oh, he was, or he or she was before their time. You know, and it, it could have been they had the right idea, right kind of set of, of structure and, and ideas, but you know, timing wasn't right or they didn't find the right kind of counterparties that helped them. And so that's 
a big thing that we, that I learned in Fulcrum is timing and, and finding the right kinds of balances and, and being open to engaging with other folks that might help you is important. Because oftentimes when you're starting something new, you have two kinds of people. Some folks will want to go meet everybody as being massive extroverts and talk to 100 people in hopes of getting one thing done. But I think a lot of times folks that are entrepreneurial, sometimes they think they've got a secret sauce. And so they might kind of like not engage with folks as much as they're perfecting their secret formula, which that could be a big problem. Right. You can really carve yourself off from finding the right kinds of opportunities that you need in order to make your business successful. That makes sense because the fear of someone's going to take it from right. You. Yeah, because it, it, at that point, you know, it's somewhere in the transition of being an idea to a viable business. Right. So, and then the other lesson for me was you know, early in my career, I was fortunate enough to be given a tremendous amount of responsibility at a very early professional age and, you know, just got very comfortable making quick decisions on things. And that was a big part of the way I grew up professionally, but it didn't, didn't teach me patience. <laughs> and when you, no. when you run your own thing or you're starting something from scratch, patience absolutely is a virtue and it's something that was very difficult for me to get my arms around and learn it, it's a weird thing you have to be able to switch gears depending upon circumstance but i was so used to like well, i can i can think my way i can think smarter better faster how can i solve this and 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 there would a lot of times where it's just now this thing has to it has to mature the way it has to mature you just you can't make it go any faster can't force it right you know it's interesting because you're right i think there's a there's this balance and I think it's different for everyone, but from making decisions and being decisive versus when's when do you need to exercise that patience and allow the process to play out. Sure. And and I think you have to be successful in business, I think you have to have the skills and knowledge to do both. And and the question is you know, do when, when do you apply which of the two, right? Yeah, it's we talk about this sometimes with with some of the, the younger folks that I have in the organization is the hardest thing is, can I make a decision with 5% of the information? hundred percent. And do it. Am I confident in the, the way I assess that? Yes. Am I confident in the outcomes? Maybe not. Yeah. Sometimes it's that subtle distinction of understanding. If I wait for 5% better information, I might have a much better than a 5% increase in my output. Like I, my probability of success might be, massively greater than a 5% increase. And just understanding that subtlety is a very difficult thing. How do you, how do you go about teaching and training, you know, to the folks that work below you on that? It's, it's a tough thing. I mean, I think it's particularly more challenging when you're in a smaller kind of entrepreneurial environment, because one of the things that, that I think really helps accelerate younger people. And, and I will say that, Finding and developing and mentoring your junior middle level management is probably the most challenging thing that I've dealt with over and over again, building these businesses and just identifying those folks. And cause, yeah. cause usually, I mean, the, the, the Peter principle that's going to materialize very, very quickly in those spots. Right. So it's, it's a big challenge, but it's, it's hard in a small organization because one of the ways that the, in, in previous lives that, that made it easier to try to round out the knowledge base for some of these, you know, high potential individuals is 
placing them in different parts of your organization, you know, getting them a little bit of diversity of their business focus or having to consider different things because it's a lot of this is about, you know, critical analytical thinking skills and a lot of it's about pattern recognition. And so the more things that you can expose people to and give them a little bit of a little bit of this and put you here for this rotation through different parts, it really helps accelerate some of that stuff. And it's a it's a big handicap I think smaller entrepreneurs have because usually you, know, you don't have one probably don't have the luxury of having a lot of you know lang yap in your in your people's time so to speak. So I try to include as many of my sort of up and coming people as much as possible in some of the strategic decision making. So whereas you might say, hey, I have an executive group, if there's folks that you really want to invest in, what I found is I, I start opening them up and try to get them some exposure to the way we go through these processes of making decisions, how we critically think about some of these things. But more than anything, I want them to start to, you know, include themselves in those conversations. I, I want to hear, you know, their input in this process as well. And that, that really does tend to help accelerate some of that process. That's great. It makes sense that, you know, going back to what you said a minute ago, if you have the ability to put them in different situations, it just going to exercise different parts of the brain. And, mm-hmm. and then I think giving them a seat at the table to where they feel like they can be heard. Right. Well, a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll bring them in and they'll, you know, look at you like, oh gosh, I don't want to say anything. You know, it's just, right. And you just, you just actively encouraging that participation, I think is, is an important, like, what do you think? You know, put, right. Put and making them feel safe right. to speak. Right. Yeah, for sure. So when you, when you kind of think through what you're doing at Energy Ogre, I mean, it sounds like from what you described, you know, the, the concept just from the beginning for the company was somewhat innovative and new in the industry. What kind of things are you doing that you believe are innovative and how can you, you know, share or expound on some of that? Sure. Well, you know, Gen 1 of the business was to set up a business structure and it's still, we still operate this way, but nobody had ever set themselves a hundred percent aligned with the end user. So ever, we've had people in the space that are, that are interested intermediaries Okay. A, a traditional broker that is, you know, has has a monetary interest in the terms of the transaction. They, they're putting together a willing buyer and a willing seller. It's a different thing entirely as an agent fiduciary to administer these uh, decisions on behalf of the end user. So that had never, ever been done before. And, you know, I'm not sure of the folks that are still kind of percolating around the space. I don't hear very many of them talk about how they're fiduciaries for their customers. And in some cases, there may be conflicts of interest because of, you know, larger corporate ownership or whatever have you. So that's a that was a pretty significant step change, I think, when we first started doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. The application of the technologies as well, we, we built a way to... You know, everyone had said, well, we can go through and look at what rate plans or what rate plans. And, you know, it, it's that whole idea of the, the person who's a subject matter expert, you know, there's a qualitative and a quantitative aspect to, and there's no room for, at least in the numbers, it's just math. And so, you know, there's a way to do this programmatically where you're like every rate plan that we can get our hands on, I can calculate what the effective billing rate is for every kilowatt from one to 
you know, infinity kilowatts per month. I can tell you exactly what it will be based upon their terms. And that allows us to look at every one of them on an apples to apples basis to each other. Gotcha. So the second big revolution that happened in the deregulated space was the advent and the deployment of smart meters. That was a big, big deal that not, not many people really kind of think about today because it's like a big deal. It's there's a smart meter versus a dumb meter. And it was a huge difference. Prior to that, what you know, we had these you know, demand meters and someone would come out and read the meter and said, oh, you're at 100, 101,000 kilowatt hours last time. And now it's at 101 or, you know, 102, 300. And so all they know is that you consume this amount of electricity between these two periods of time. But the wholesale market actually, it clears every day, but it, there's, there's a settlement cycle that happens every 15 minutes and it's highly volatile. And what was happening is the only way to translate what end consumers were doing to make it fit in the wholesale market is uh, they would profile settle. So it didn't really matter how you were using electricity in your house versus your neighbor. They, they assumed this is what your consumption profile was. Interesting. So your ability to actually shift your usage in, you know, in order to accomplish something from a cost savings or whatever have you, there's no me- there was no mechanism to allow that to occur. And once we went to smart meters, now we're actually settling each one of these customers and the costs are passed through to the provider that's serving them. They know exactly what all their customers did exactly you know every 15 minutes of the day so it it's this big clarification where we, we've gotten rid of a lot of the, the this the subsidization that was occurring you know internal to these customer groups which is an important part of the innovative that, that's how we start to bring these innovative products and services in the market right yeah it's hard to make solar work on a time of use basis if you can't really figure out where what time you use it yeah so, so the smart meters have kind of allowed for that to, because uh, solar in the residential space is certainly emerging. Yeah, it's a big thing, and and time of use plans, period, and you know, making decisions around you know, if you don't have a smart meter and you're making a decision to change your consumption on your HVAC system, if you have a thermostat that you program so that it works a certain way, you're trying to avoid the the high price periods of the, of the day. You can't see that without a smart meter. So there's no way to to incent the end user to change their behavior. You can't create price elasticity of demand at the end point without having some of these things. So we just kind of added another axis to the canvas of us doing innovative things in the space. And and that's one of the reasons why Texas is so far out in front of everybody else. Yeah. Well, and of course... It's interesting you say that given kind of what we experienced in February, but I'd say still ahead of the curve. For sure. No question. February is such a strange thing. You know, I know it's, you know, not that it wasn't a big deal and not that it wasn't traumatic, but in the end, what happened is I think, I think that it was such a large scale deviation, such a, I mean, I don't, I haven't gone back to look at this, but my perception is this is like a six or a seven sigma. (laughs) Like it's so far out from, from, you know, probabilistically occurring that people just got caught flat footed. And so there, there's so many lessons learned of things that, that could have been done a lot better, but I don't think it's a, a failure of the totality of the infrastructure. We just didn't use what we had quite as well as we should have. 
Interesting. So kind of thinking back to, you know, to energy over, you know, lots of things written on culture. You know, again, you've built these two companies. When you think about Energy Ogre, how would you describe the culture that you've built there? What are the characteristics of it? And how did you go about creating that? Sure. Well, I, I think, you know, it's funny because there's a top-down and a bottom-up aspect to this stuff always. Sure. And so, you know, I laugh sometimes, and maybe this is just me, and I'm sure that someone will, you know, smoke me and, and uh, like, you can't do that. But I always sort of chuckle when I see companies that say, you know, their mission statement, we believe in integrity and whatever. I'm like, man, if you have to write it down, <laughs> you know? like it, it's, it's one thing to say those things. I think that the reality is you kind of have to walk the walk. It's way more, especially in a smaller organization where everyone can see what the leadership's doing and what they're all about, whether the individual is valued. I think oftentimes in these smaller businesses, it's kind of an interesting uh, change for people that maybe have worked for a larger company that come into this and say, hey, if I were at oil major, whoever, and I do an excellent job today, that's going to have exactly zero impact on the overall corporate profitability and corporate success. In a small organization, if you do an excellent job and you solve people's problems and you have super positive interactions with customers, that absolutely has a material impact on the overall success or failure of the organization. So the individual's ability to impact where we're going is huge. Sure. And, and it doesn't matter if it's you know exclusively a customer-facing kind of thing. When you're building something like this, it's that's always a big consideration. So really making sure that those folks understand that they are, in our case, our customers are our lifeblood of our organization if our customer interaction personnel do not display a high degree of patience and professionalism and, and are genuinely interested in solving those problems versus them walking in the door and it's like a J-O-B and they can't wait till yabba dabba do time, yeah. you know, <laughs> then, then we're going to have a problem. So we, we have the added benefit, I think, as Energy Ogre, and maybe I see this more and it's more important to me than, than maybe some of the others see it. But, you know, when you're doing something like we're doing as an agent with, uh, as a fiduciary for end users where you're just helping people, like it, it's, it's this weird thing where it's almost, almost like a nonprofit kind of thing. Like it, you are so consumer focused and you're aligned with just helping people try to get out of, a bad situation or get an answer to something or solve a problem they might have or, or just simply save them money so they can go do other things with their lives. That resonates with the staff, right? So it's way easier to get up and ride an elevator into the office every day when you're kind of fired up about helping people. Is it, is it almost like the, it sounds like the little guy kind of helping the little guy, almost like a David versus Goliath For type? sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that there's so many other professions that are that way. I mean, lots of people advocate for other people, right? Um, you know, this firm is a good example of that. I'm sure it's the same kind of thing when you're solving a problem for a client. That's that they're you're doing something that's very difficult for anyone else to be able to accomplish on behalf of that person. There's a tremendous sense of satisfaction in doing those things. No, absolutely. We say all the time, you know, one of the things that we're passionate about is helping. 
for sure. Helping people. And those people are usually own companies or helping their company, but helping them solve problems and realize their end goals. Right. It's the same thing. It's, you know, the, the stakes are different. But it's the, it's the same idea, and I think that it it helps to give a clarity of purpose to the folks. What am I doing here every day? Am I working for the man, right? Or am I actually you know working to to make a, a positive improvement in my communities? Am I helping my neighbors, et cetera, et cetera? So I, it, that's a big part of I think where where our, our culture comes from is really the folks buying in and being part of that process. I also you know as we talked about before I'm super focused on professionally developing, you know, my, my younger people and helping them on this trajectory of, of creating a career path for them. You, for us at energy yoga, no one was doing this before us. So I can't go pillage from a competitor, the kinds of people we have to basically build everybody with our thought process and teach them the way we want them and learn from them too. It's sure. Kind of, yeah. And so it's been fun that, you know, I found that there's a, some of these folks are super high gray matter people that have a tremendous amount of want to, but they may not have had, they may not have gone to the right high school, may have not been, they may have not have gone through that traditional path where it's easy for a larger organization to identify them. They may have, you know, not, don't have a college degree or they may have, you know, um, you know, whatever. So, so it allows me to really identify some of these people that just need an opportunity. And there, and what happens is, you know, all these people are super eager and super hungry and want to soak these things up. And so by investing in the people that reinforces that, you know, taking the time and being engaged in, and really working through where, where are we going to get you to professionally? What education do we need to send you out for? Those are the things I think that reinforce the, that, that sense of culture sure. in the organization that, that, you know, is initiated by we're helping people, but Hey, I'm also helping you. And then you're helping us. And it's, it's a big feedback loop. Yeah. So it kind of the snowball that builds upon itself. Right. Right. Um, that's good. So, you know, we've talked a lot uh, just about how you built the company and what it does. Can you give us an example of a setback you encountered along the way, kind of what that was and, you know, what was the learning from it? Uh, how did the company grow because of it? Sure. Well, you know, we've had, you know, obviously the, the weird thing in Energy Ogre specifically, one of the problems that we have is that we are, we are the, it's not a problem, it's just that it's a challenge. Okay. You know, we are going to be accountable for any mistakes that we make. And, you know, we try to minimize those to the greatest extent possible. Sure. But our customers also... They, they're going to look to us to solve problems that a provider is making as well. So we're always going to be, we're always going to be subject to frustration that a customer might have because of any mistake that we might make, but also all these other provider mistakes. And so, and it's, it's not good, but it's quite common for all these providers and it doesn't make any difference who they are. It's not a name brand. Like this company never makes the, I mean, they make them. They're equally guilty. <laughs> right. It's just because the, the the selling power and a lot of these consumers are kind of looked at, and you'll never hear anyone say this, but in my view, the customers are kind of commoditized. And so in order to handle large scales, we, we see stuff where a provider might accidentally send out a disconnection for non-payment notice to like 
thousands and thousands of people creating chaos. Then it's not real, but someone made a mistake. They keyed something in or, you know, their systems didn't debit and uh, credit cards for three weeks or something. And then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, you need to pay us. And like, well, no, we were set up. You need to draft it. Right. Right. So, you know, we've had some of those things where we really started in a way where like, Hey, you know, providing electricity at the residential level, it's a hundred percent fungible product and um, it's exclusively a function of price. And what we found was some of the, some of the providers and most of them are not around anymore. We're, we're so poor at the provision of the logistics around that, that we just had to exclude them. Yeah. And so that definitely creates, you know, overcoming the, the frustration that a customer has, you know, it's not necessarily our black eye, but I understand it. Like, hey, well, you placed them with you placed me with them, right? And they, you know, jacked up my situation. Even if they're violating the rules and violating the statute, you know, we're still subject to some of those things. So that's been a very interesting lesson learned through that process. That it there has to be a quantitative as well as a qualitative aspect to some of these decisions. So it didn't it did not occur to me till you said it, but I can see where. You, know, you set this company up totally focused, as you said, to help the end user. But the end user, since you're kind of the conduit providing the energy, equates you to the energy provider, 100%. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the, you're 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 always going to be. And it's the double edged sword. It's yeah. Hey, I want you to not have to worry about this. You know, our goal is to minimize anyone having to spend any time worrying about this stuff. Well, if I do that and people like it's on autopilot and then something doesn't work, you know, they they haven't been paying attention. Right. And so it's very difficult for us to say, yeah, yeah, but that wasn't us. That's right. Like, you, it doesn't thought matter. You, thought you were supposed to be watching this for me. Right? right. But we just need to fix it. Right. So, right. Yeah. Funny how that works. So the, anything that from the recent pandemic that, you know, that has affected the business in ways you didn't expect or that you, you know, had to really, you know, not to use the words overused lately, but pivot to sure. change change operations or, or what y'all are doing. Sure, I, you know, again, the the education part of this is a big a big part of our mission statement and what we're trying to accomplish. But one of the interesting things that we we saw early on in the pandemic is you know we have some of our customers like. Hey man, I don't know why this is the case, but my bill's like twenty percent higher than it was before, and you know, my bills, you know, what what is going on with this stuff? And so we, uh, okay, well, let us look into it, and well, oh, okay, well, you're using one hundred and fifty percent more than you were using before with people working, you know, working at home all day. They're home all day long, and so being able to communicate some of that stuff and get out in front of that—that that was an interesting challenge because people, it, again everyone's their attention span there's so many other things that are competing for their time and their attention and you know i love my dentist personally but this is about as much fun as going to see the dentist like people just don't pay attention to it right so so that was a big issue luckily because most of the core uh, of our leadership team we've been doing stuff in the energy space since Moby was a minnow in, in the power in the power generation space that we were in before you've got 24 hour uptime. And so we always had disaster prep online. So we were able to switch gears very easily of getting all of our staff working remotely, but it's the little things. It's the, the customer service agents that, you know, they're 
broadband doesn't work or it's it's limited or they can't get online or you know all those different kinds of things kind of a big deal and, and then again for us as we've continued to grow you know people as they had more time at home spent more time kind of researching some of these things and and we've added you know a, a lot of new customers since the pandemic began which means that we've had a lot of new employees Gotcha. And so maintaining our sense of our culture as it continuously evolves with, you know, the population that we have there, it's a way bigger challenge to maintain that culture and, you know, keep that culture moving from a momentum perspective when everyone is siloed. I mean, they're still talking to each other. It's just not the same. It is, right? I mean, we've experienced the same thing. And I hear it from other leaders of companies that just the the work remote while convenient there's always, with every decision, there's consequence, right? And a decision to work remote, one of the consequences is erosion of the culture because people aren't connected That's right. as much. So look, I want to turn a little bit and less about the company, more about you. How would you describe your leadership style? It's a, it's a great question. You know, I, I think I'd like to, so there's a weird thing. To me, I, I guess I learned this lesson with my children. And I realized with them, Pretty early on, it was a little bit of an epiphany to me that I can't be the same person to each of them, right? So my my oldest son, people pleaser, you know, grind everything out, and so, but he would you know, needed needed strokes and encouragement, and he needed to be you, you're gonna you're gonna continue to make it. M- you know, my middle child is just you know on fire, and so he was like he, he kind of had to like try to hold him back, he was a little bit more aggressive with him. And so it's just it, this interesting, and my daughter would kill me if I say anything about her. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got to at least mention she's there, right? She's so a, the, she's the, the, the third and baby yeah. is the daughter. Yeah, my, my that's daughter, all we'll say. She's, is, she would want me to say she's perfect. So it's interesting that that same thing is true when I find from a leadership perspective. On the one hand, you definitely want to encourage folks from a participation. You want to get them engaged in some of these with your leadership team, right, in your immediate uh, group. But you can't be so laid back about some of these things that there's, that, you know, from a CEO perspective or from a chairman perspective, you still have to set the tone. You have to be willing to change course in light of new information. But I think everyone needs to understand there's a firm hand on the tiller. Like there's a confidence in the direction that we're going. There's a, there's a plan. There's a vision. We, we want to get on board with what's happening. The, the specifics of how we do that. We'll work those things out together. But in terms of us understanding what direction the ship is pointed and, and that there is a plan and there's, there's an overall strategic goal, that's an important part of leadership, I think. Yeah. It's a weird kind of, it's a very strange, you know, authoritarian on one end and then super, you know, accommodating on the other end. But I think you have to have the skill set to change gears in that spectrum along the way, depending upon circumstances. It, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that balance, right, of clarity of purpose, confidence in, in the direction that and what the company stands for and where it's going, but also the empathy side of, you know, listening to employees, motivating them. The, you know, they all like your kids. Everybody's motivated in a different way, right? Yourself. So you got to be able to manage that while they providing the comfort and confidence that, you know, we know where we're going. Right. I, I think it's what I found is that setting the strategic tone and the direction and, and the, the firm hand on the tiller, that's easier. 
it's very difficult, I think, for some people to, that, you know, I that's that's the CEO, and or you know what they don't they don't really kind of want to tell you what they think because they're worried about some kind of a negative repercussion. So, kind of getting that feedback out of them and engaging in that in that process where they're not afraid of kind of being themselves. Sure. That's a, that's a big challenge for a lot of people. And it's, it's definitely something that has to be done in order to really effectively run an organization. Yeah. So true. So the listeners out there own businesses, maybe thinking about starting one, what are one or two things you might share that says, you know, if you're thinking about starting a business or you have a, a business you've just started, here are one or two things that either I would tell you you need to do or think about, or I wish I'd have known. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the thing I wish I had known is I wish I had known I should have done it earlier. <laughs> so, so you know, I think I think my thought process and, and I think I was I, I, I distinctly remember the day that, that I left my well-paying job at Dynegy to go start, you know, my first startup. I was thinking about what did I just do? You know, <laughs> definitely the fear of failure and the. Uh, there's definitely a clarity of purpose when you woke up all of a sudden you're unemployed so or self-employed as you like to say so but you know my thought process on this was and i think maybe a lot of people as they're trying to debate whether they can do this or can't do this is what what's the worst what's i looked at it like a trade like i would have done any other trade okay so i go out and try to get this done either I, i am somewhere on the spectrum of marginally successful absolutely fall flat on my face to wildly successful. But in the downside scenario where I fall flat on my face, the worst case scenario is I'll just go get a job. Like what, what is the floor from where you're going? Right. And so I think being willing to take that risk is, is it, it's, it sounds easy in hindsight. It's just such a, it's, it is such a ledge when you're, when you're walking up to it. But, you know, I think that, Personally, I think that folks starting ideas, start these businesses around these new ideas, that's what's going to help us, you know, from a broader economy perspective. It's all the innovation. It's pushing for us to, to extract value. It's finding a way to d- apply new, you know, maybe, maybe a subject matter expertise that somebody has in a different industry that can get applied to something, you know, in, in, a, different, in a different place. All that innovation ends up, you know, helping all of us, and I'd love to see that happen. One of the big problems that that we had when we first started our business is we just didn't really have good mentors. You know, we just mm-hmm. didn't. The folks that I knew and the folks that I thought highly of, I, I brought in a couple of, of guys that I worked for to be on my advisory board early on, and they gave me a good kind of overall experience. But I do think navigating some of these things is kind of an entrepreneurial business. There's a big difference between starting something from scratch where you're trying to get cash flow from operations positive and not raise a bunch of capital from third parties. That's, that's different. And, and I think sometimes I think there's a dearth of some of those resources that are out there for folks who are trying to figure these things out. And so, as I said, I'm all about not paying tuition twice for sure. Uh, but if I can avoid, if I get the lesson, if I can get the you know Cliff Notes version of that, lesson without actually having to go pay for the class then I try to do that and and early on we just I really struggled with finding folks that that could help me think about these things that way so I think if you can find a resource or somebody else that has had that that background and it doesn't really matter if they were 
some of these folks were wildly successful or honestly, if they just sort of blew up. Right. Because there are definitely important lessons to be learned from both. So kind of don't, don't be afraid to seek advice from others. 100%. So that's, I think that's great advice. And so we kind of go switch to the lighter side as we wrap this up. It, this is a Texas-based podcast. So right. I always ask everybody, do you prefer Tex-Mex or barbecue? You know, I grew up in El Paso, so I guess I'm going to have to say Tex-Mex. Okay, there you go. Or maybe Mexican food. I don't know. But I guess a slight difference. Okay. Yeah, Tex-Mex for sure. Gotcha. Any books you've read recently or that you're reading now that you might uh, recommend? or? You know, I, I started reading a lot of, um, you know, I used to only read you know, historical books and things. I started reading more fiction, and, and I've really gotten into reading a lot of, you know, science fiction kinds of things. You just, you know, but I, I really do like some of the essay Corey. You know, I think there's uh, his, they, they've done his television series called The Expanse, and just just fun stuff. I, I find it's important to to switch gears myself in my mind because otherwise I will spend all my time thinking about the work stuff and it kind of, I need to like cleanse my mind with other things. <laughs> so some of the, some of the, some of, some of those books are, are really amazing. I try to spend more time thinking about and yeah. reading about science fiction, things of that nature. It gives lately. you a little, a little bit of a mental break. It does. Them, it yeah. does. It's like, it's a mini, it's, it's a vacation in your mind. Right. So that's great. What was your first job? I, the first job I think I ever got paid for, besides, I worked at a local Taco Bell in El Paso. And so people, my wife still laughs at me when we go um, out and we go by there. And I was like, well, I remember my first job because we used to make the beans from scratch. Like we would pressure cook the beans. I remember having to pull the rocks out of the pinto beans and <laughs> we made the, all the taco shells. And it was hard work. It was hard work. It was, it was a good job though. Very good. Well, Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to yeah, come on the show having. and really loved hearing your story and the things y'all are doing at Energy Ogre. Well, thanks. Hopefully, hopefully, I think it is not two way because I'm afraid I've you know put together your put your audience to sleep. So maybe heads hitting tables or something. But hopefully, it's been it's been fun for folks to listen to. No doubt it has been. So thanks again. Sure. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.